Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay. Today, we are talking about the original trilogy of Star Wars. So the three original films, A New Hope, released in 1977, written and directed by George Lucas, The Empire Strikes Back, screenplay by Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kasdan, and story by George Lucas, directed by Irvin Kirshner, and, of course, Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, released in 1983, screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas. He came back to writing there. We'll talk about that. Story by George Lucas, directed by Richard Marquand. I'm joined by the Lessons from the Screenplay team, writer Trisha Aran. Hello, everyone. Writer Brian Bittner. Hello there. And editor Alex Cayeros. Hi. So this is going to be the first in a trilogy of episodes that we're doing on Star Wars leading up to the release of Episode Nine. So this first episode is going to be about the original trilogy, uh, and then we're going to talk about the prequels, and then we're going to talk about the new trilogy. So yeah, so... Not ambitious at all. Not ambitious at all. No. Trilogies within trilogies. Twelve, yes. The original trilogy, Star Wars. I feel like I just need to start off by saying... Star Wars is so f***ing good. <laughs> I was going to start off by saying that. Oh, my God. I feel like that's just the thing you have to start yes. off by saying. There you go. Yeah. It was really interesting for me revisiting these movies uh, recently, and I didn't have time to rewatch all of, all of them. But And it's that weird thing that happens when I watch Star Wars where it's like there's a record that was recorded the first time my child brain watched Star Wars. And it remembers what it thought at like certain moments. And every time I watched it, it recorded like a new track on that record. And so when I watch it, there's just this like cacophony of different aged young Michaels yelling like what they thought was happening at different moments. And so it's always this kind of like trans, like time travel experience almost watching the originals. But I tried to watch them as new films this time and it was really like just objectively as films and it was interesting and I think watching it in 235 aspect ratio helps with that hmm. because I don't know if you guys had this but because I watched them on VHS for the most part as a kid mm-hmm. of course I, right yeah. I watched the like the 4-3 version where they cut off the sides Ugh. and so now <laughs> exactly so now when I watch them in 235 I'm seeing things that like I've, I've only seen like seven times as opposed to like a hundred right. times that I saw on VHS I don't know if you guys have had that experience. I definitely noticed frames and mm-hmm. noticed like a uh, really gorgeous uh, framing of shots and symmetry in shots and things that I just I don't think were really there in the four three versions because they're panning and scanning. They may not be actually centered if the action is taking place on one side of the screen. Um, so I, I definitely noticed that watching them again. There's a specific moment where in A New Hope, Luke is looking through his binoculars right at the sand people and he says like, there's sand people, all right? I can see one of them now. And in the 4-3 version, you couldn't see a sand person. Mm. You just saw the bantha, but the sides were cut off. So you could, and so then like when Luke's I saw... Luke's going crazy. <laughs> and then you see it in 2 three, five, and you're like, oh, look, there is there is a sand person. He's just wow. walking in from the side of the frame. Well, it's, it's funny because Disney Plus, of all things, is having the same issue, but in the opposite direction with the Simpsons episodes, mm. uh, which were originally in 4.3, of course. And now they have the like 1.85, oh. like fancy versions, which means like there's a, a one shot with the, the Duff factory, Duff beer, and you see Duff dry, Duff light and Duff and it's three tanks. In the four three version, you see that there are three one tube coming to all three tanks, and it's just the same <laughs> beer. But in the cropped version, you just see three tanks, and it's like the the joke is lost. So, so it's right. actually it's cutting off right the image. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big proponent of like whatever the original thing was, just always show it that way. Don't ever show me anything. Of else. course, yeah, of course, yeah. It is an interesting 
interesting thought exercise, though, because I was experiencing this as well, trying to go back and watch the original trilogy with your like newest eyes that you can, where you're not tuning out any of it or you're not like trying to anticipate the lines or like, you know, skip skipping to the scenes that you love the most or wandering in and out to get food or whatever, like, which is I feel like the more and more familiar you get with a movie, the more you sort of end up doing that. And so I just like planted myself in a chair and I was like, I'm going to actually pretend that I've never seen these movies before. And of course, I've been watching the despecialized editions, which are just so important. (laughs) And it is like, it's just so overwhelming to try to regress yourself to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you obviously can't. Like you can't unknow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything that you know about them now in like the 40 years that have elapsed since then of cinema history, you can't just erase those. But trying to take yourself back to that childlike place of like, what if I had never seen this before? You definitely get that experience. If you've never read the script for A New Hope, like it's wild. <laughs> like, because <laughs> like nothing in it is explained. Just nothing. It's like, it, the Death Star, large battle station. Great. Thank you, George Lucas. <laughs> sure. What? The end. Yeah. That's funny. You mentioned the despecialized versions because that's also what I watched. And I, I do think there's something really special about being able to, which if anyone doesn't know, like someone went and meticulously recreated the original mm-hmm. trilogy, but using high def footage and upscaling things where they could and basically just sort of pasting together the original trilogy in high def and it looks great. Yeah. Um, but it also doesn't look great because the original trilogy didn't look great. And I think that's kind of... Well, by today's standards. Right. But I think that's what's interesting about watching it like you said, with fresh eyes, is especially mm-hmm. watching the despecialized where they didn't fix that issue. And that thing is still, you know, a, a guy in a wolf mask or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is something that makes you kind of giggle at it, but there's also something so charming about it. And you're like, this is just the original movie that was made. This is what people fell in love with. There isn't like a CG Bantha walking um, yeah. down the street because they're like, we, there can't just be sand there. You know, R2 needs more rocks in front of him. Like, what is all this stuff? Um, you know, Han shoots first. There's no weird like CG yeah. dance party in Jabba's palace and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Some of that stuff did not age well. Right. Yeah. And um, so, so I just found it really special to watch those versions sort of warts and all and go, mm-hmm. I, I don't care that this stuff is, looks goofy. I'm just happy that it's not... I'm not watching like 10 different versions shoved together, you know. Well, it's and also I think I know when I was a child, the first versions I saw were this VHS release. It was mm-hmm. like this big deal. And I remember yeah. even like I remember watching I think it was on the VHS tapes. There was a trailer for this release of the VHS tapes because they wanted you to buy all three. And in that trailer on the VHS tape, it was advertising. This is the like original version of Star Wars. One last time mm. like that was like that was actually the tagline wow. and i didn't i didn't think that actually meant anything but sure but it, wow so prescient it really was the last time you could physically purchase this original print of the movie did you have the vhs box set of all three of them yes oh, yeah that's the one that we we, we actually still have that one and like i think it's like there's like a half face on each yes, yeah like yoda, exactly. yoda is in the last one the stormtrooper mm-hmm. is in the second one yeah i forget who's in the first one it's Vader, I think. Is it Vader? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's weird because I think the my dad was very into like we're gonna rent this movie and then like tape it or like when <gasps> it was on TV oh. like, tape it. And so my first memories of Star Wars are watching versions that we like taped and there were like problems in the tapes and like that's one of the tracks in my oh, brain yeah. that's playing is like every time C three PO is coming out of the like tank when he's been given the bath when you know uh-huh. Luke takes him down and stuff and he says like actually there's not much to tell I remember that the VHS would always like skip and scramble there and I'm like my brain still like releases chemicals of like oh I hear the line now like <laughs> right. it's not just it's not <laughs> right. like I can actually hear what he's saying it, it's funny you say that because I'm also, I, I'm sure I saw the original trilogy as a kid, but the only one that I had was a, a taped version of Return of the Jedi. I also, the only Indiana Jones I had was Temple of Doom. So Yikes. Like, my favorite of those trilogies is the one that I grew up with, even though it's like everyone's least favorite, you know, and, and not even, I wouldn't argue that they're the best. But also my copy of Return of the Jedi just stopped before the end so it was like after what? like the blunker the, the final movie hold on i just said the end. i just said blunker uh, <laughs> after the bunker blows up <laughs> somewhere around there it's just like and that's that's it you know so i'm just like oh, okay there was ewoks and then there's no more movie <laughs> oh my god that's crazy. missing out on the ewok party is like Yep, probably yep. all right although it was so nice watching the despecialized to have just yes. the, the regular ewok party it doesn't go show me every single planet from the first six movies it doesn't hayden christensen doesn't show oh, up and i was say so relieved hi. not to see hayden i can like i can deal with most of the special edition stuff i mean some of it does look pretty bad but hayden christensen Ugh. like invading my childhood movie yep I just I can't. Which I also can't. just makes no sense if you watch just the just that trilogy, you know. Because like yeah, he didn't die at that age, right? So like why you could argue that's when he was last good. That's why he's oh. reverting to his positive light side. I'm tired. <sighs> nobody <laughs> nobody wanted that George Lucas. Yeah. Nobody asked for that. <laughs> anyway, we're here to talk about how much we love these movies. Yeah. Yay! Well, yeah, it is interesting because I, I feel like we can't talk about it without talking about the special edition. Yeah, <laughs> right. The first n- not taped off of TV or not copied version I saw was special edition. Like, I feel like what you had, Alex, of like, oh, the VHS set. The first one I had was the special edition VHS set. And so there's parts of the special edition that are kind of ingrained in me like I was still mm. young enough that I was like okay like this is Star Wars but there are just some things that really do not hold up no and like nope. it's just so frustrating and I'm not the first person to say that obviously <laughs> yeah. but revisiting it it was just like I feel like if you're gonna do the special edition George you need to <laughs> like I want you to invest in it because I don't want to have to watch like not only did you put in dumb ass freaking <laughs> Job of the Hut scene yeah. in A New Hope where he's yeah. talking to Han Solo. That one hurts me. It's, it's bad. So and bad. when they like raise, they raise, they raise Han, Han Solo yeah. up to uh, step over his tail. Right. There's so many things about Star Wars and the special editions and the prequels. And like, I don't want to get into it yet, but just to put the idea out there, I feel like there's so many things that were done that I feel like could look good on paper. Mm. And it like could make sense on paper. But the way they were done is... Very, very frustrating. Speaking well, of something I think looks great on paper but wasn't done well, uh, stay tuned for our prequels episode. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, some of the things he did in the special edition, 
really don't bother me that much. Like there's some stuff, uh, I think in the Hoth battle scenes where he just cleaned up, you know, there was some artifacts that got cleaned up, you know, like, right. like if you want to do that to your movie, like clean up the effects a little bit, fine. Like great. It's almost like doing, um, like a cleaning up an old film print. Yeah. But even the like set yeah. extensions of best on the, in the cloud city, I feel right. like, so, like, so, like some of the, most of the empire strike back stuff actually works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's like, it's the least messy of the, yeah. Like, yeah. Special but edition. when you're on Tatooine and like, there's this awkward shot of just like, reptilian skin taking up the entire frame for like 30 seconds in like the wrong size to ratio with the stormtroopers walking by in the background like that didn't help the scene that didn't do anything that just took me out of it so as i was watching a new hope again one thought i was having was first of all obi-wan has like like every line of his is like the most badass line yeah of course ever. it is yeah like, of course it is everything he says is like a classic like line. Yes. It's yes. just so amazing. Yeah. And uh, Alec Guinness's delivery is just yeah. incredible. And like stretch yeah. out with your feelings and like that's no moon. Like just <laughs> everything. But one of them is <laughs> before they go into Mos Eisley, he's like, you will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Cut to special edition, like Ugh. goofy CGI, like shenanigans happening. Yeah. And like that just <laughs> directly opposes the whole weight that was just built up by this amazing line from Alec Guinness. Right. Very frustrating. But anyway, these movies are amazing. Are amazing. Yes, well, they are. Yeah. Talking about uh, a thought with New Hope and especially talking about forget all the effects, forget the special editions, especially watching the despecialized. Like I was watching New Hope just going every frame of this movie looks like it's from another world. Yes. Like no, you know, there's nothing that looks familiar. Everything. There's so much attention to detail in every, the costume and the set design and everything. Um, and I just thought it, we talked about that with Blade Runner. We kind of touched on it with mm-hmm. alien, like the, like the used future, right? Well, not just the used future, but just the, the cam- all the cameras doing is looking at this wall, and I just want to look at this wall for ten minutes because yeah, yeah. it looks beautiful. Well, the ambition of this movie, right, just is so amazing. Like, yes. like this movie, nobody expected it. Nobody expected George Lucas to do make a new classic. It was just kind of thought of as like a B movie, right? When they were making it, and it's just like the ambition. He went so far beyond what was expected. Well, and this is the thing that makes me want to cry every time I watch it and every time I read about it, which is just, it was this underdog of a film and it was like opened on like 32 theaters or something on a Wednesday and they were like, it can't go up against anything. It's not even like the main release that the studio is doing this like particular weekend. And it was like George Lucas underestimated it so completely as well like everyone just so underestimated it and they couldn't have anticipated how meaningful it would be in spite of the fact that it is this old as time just like legend archetypal story it was like the 70s were all just like look at all these serious movies that we're making we're making all these war dramas and we're making all of this like you know, these like super quiet, like ordinary people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Those are great movies. I'm no, 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 sure. not, not throwing shade. I'm just saying that was the environment in which this movie came out. And then, you know, you have these stories and, and they're legends or whatever. They're just sort of part of the mythology of it by this point of like George Lucas, like 
was in Hollywood out to lunch on the day that this movie came out or the weekend it came out or something. And he like ran into a line of people standing on the block. And he's like, what the hell are you guys here to see? And they were like, Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my favorite stories that my parents would tell me as a kid was like they were driving around in San Francisco one day, saw a bunch of people in a line around the corner from the theater. And they were like, what is this? I don't know. Let's go stand in line and see what it is. And then they saw Star Wars. Does it not make you want to cry though? It's It's so so amazing. amazing. Yeah. I just well, I just love that life philosophy. <laughs> hey, line, let's go stand it and see what happens. Seventies, man. Yeah. Seventies yeah. in San Francisco. One of the best little stories that so I, I've recently, um, not recently, but I have a book coming out next year, and I'll keep you guys posted on that. Um, but it, it's about the uh, women Air Force Service pilots of World War II who were fighting for their like they served in World War II, but they weren't militarized until the 70s. So their battle to be militarized was happening in the 70s. And a lot of it, you know, is like waging in Congress. And they were collecting signatures for their petition to be militarized, these women. And there was a woman in San Francisco who was like, this block is full of people. And so she just got out and she started like petitioning and the people there to see Star Wars were like signing the petition and they helped like the women Air Force Service pilots get <laughs> militarized in Congress. What the hell? Like That's a fun connection. Yeah. yeah. Just like, the, so specific. The ripple effect of what this movie meant in cinema history is just impossible to calculate. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. And that's that is like what the magic of it is. It's wrapped up in how undersold it was. It's that the movie itself feels like it is Luke personified. It's like this farm boy from Tatooine who shouldn't be anything and shouldn't be a Jedi and whatever. It's, I mean, really American (laughs) if you want to (laughs) like drill it down that way. But it's part of the reason why they're as beloved as they are. It's like the mythos of it and a meta level echoes what these movies are. It's, incredible and you and you have some things that just weren't sort of being done at the time you have the the very simple the hero's journey yeah you, know? you do and, and it's like as soon as star wars came out all every exec in hollywood was like ah get me joseph campbell you know like we have to, <laughs> and then like just make movies like this and then like people did and they're like oh but they still have to be good movie you can't just say here are some plot points that's like okay george lucas read a book about storytelling and went with it like fine like that's just being an educated storyteller and then there's something like the lightsaber which is just like oh you invented kind of so cool thing ever (laughs) (laughs) michael tell us about how you feel about lightsabers i can't there are no words actually there are very specific words and and this is another thing that i think is so incredibly genius about these movies you were talking about how they look like every frame of them is from another world but they don't actually like they look like earth they're accessible you know sure like, it's familiar so think but about it's... like endor it it's a redwood forest it looks like a redwood forest it has gravity and like they're walking around speaking english and why would they be? Of course they wouldn't be. Why is, you know, as famously asked, why is everybody on the Death Star British? Like, <laughs> there's no Great Britain. The language of the invented sort of terminology of things, like even the word lightsaber, is just so elegant mm-hmm. in its simplicity. Like, you're pairing right, two right. words that we are familiar with, and like land speeder, Death Star. We understand what these things are. Monkey e- lizard. <laughs> <laughs> Salacious crumb shout out, sorry. (laughs) I'm never going to be rid of salacious crumb. The scourge of my life. Although, you know what has always kind of like confused me or puzzled me a little bit? There's the Death Star, but then there's also the Star Destroyers. 
And the Star Destroyers aren't nearly as powerful as the Death Star, but they're called Star Destroyers. I'm just saying. Maybe it's easier to blow up a star because it's already like hot. (laughs) I mean, mean, you have to you have to just imagine like whoever is, you know, the the Empire people just being like, well, this sounds cool. Right. Yeah. They named it before that ass name. That's fine. So I just want to like shout out that there's so many things as a filmmaker that like all three of these movies are so formative for me as far as just my idea of like what I want a space battle to be, what I want a chase scene to be like like the the like the speeder chase in the rivered forest i rewatched that today it's really stellar i mean like it's, the, so it's fun. amazing like the effects aren't perfect anymore you can tell that they're all green screen but like the sound design it just really there's no cool. music just incredible sound design and it like the sound cuts on the visual cuts it's like so elegant and crisp and kinetic and insane uh the death star trench run i feel like is just still like I mean, and same thing with the sound of the end of that, the sound of the TIE fighters where just you cut to the TIE fighters. It's incredibly loud screaming. And it's the cut coolest away. sound ever. It's the coolest, yeah. Cut away and it cuts. And you're like, it's, it, it's such an elegant, awesomely designed idea of like space combat. And I still don't really see much of it. Well, like, it won I, an Oscar for sound and for visual yeah. effects. Like, all, they all three won Oscars for sound, didn't they? Like, Probably. Yeah. I'm sure. I feel like we need to name drop Ben Burt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we really do. My God. Yeah. The soundscape is unreal. Right. Like, just brilliantly envisioned and, and all of it mixed and yeah. all of and it. Also the, flawless. The, the the battle sequence, I, I, all of them, I think, think about any battle sequence or action sequence from those movies. You know exactly what's going on. You yes. know, yes. from this coherence. Right. Hoth or the speeder chase. Like, I know how many people are here. I know what needs to happen in order. They have to get the thing around the legs and then they fall down. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, the speeder, there's two. And then now there's two more and you have to fall. And I just think that like. So many battle sequences these days. There's so much cutting, so much back and forth. You're like, I'm just watching people get decapitated, and I have no idea what's going <laughs> right. on. Right, right. No, there's there's an elegance, like we said earlier. There's an elegance to everything in these movies that actually it, it provides a more thrilling experience than something that is noisy and messy and mm. bouncy and confusing. Because then there's a there's a tune out that happens when you just literally cannot tell what is happening well these movies are called a space opera mm-hmm. and i think the word opera is really perfect here because you know in classic opera they're often in like the second act or third movement or whatever there's like a ballet like they, they sort of like stop the action of the opera and then there's like a ballet part to it i feel like this borrows from that where there's like now here's the ballet of this like dog fight this incredible thing that's happening out in space and and the same thing with the speeder chase like on endor it's I'm sorry, the forest moon of Endor. Does anyone know what's on Endor? More Ewoks. An Ewok factory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, someone who's read the books, I'm sure, can tell me. But there is this really clever, I don't know, sequencing of these things where there are these building blocks. And no, none of these three movies have the same building blocks twice, but they all feel related. They're all a part of the same puzzle. And so, yeah, I, I was really admiring when I was rewatching Empire Strikes Back, all of that dogfighting and and like the obviously Hoth is an amazing opening sequence and all of that stuff. It's so different from everything that we saw. Nothing that we saw in A New Hope looks anything like that battle on Hoth, looks anything like, um, you know, the climax of that film. And yet, there's no question that they are so closely related. It's just a brilliant step forward and like re 
creative reimagining of like what else is possible in this universe or what else is likely to happen in this universe. I love it. It's great, great writing. That really struck me rewatching it again. Just the coherence of the universe. Yes. And yet, not just repeating the exact same structure or formula from the previous movie. Right, because A New Hope is such a simple story. You know, like there's the old, like it's almost a Mad Lib of, uh, a young orphan named, and you cut out Luke Skywalker and put in Harry Potter. Uh, you know, it, da, da, right, da, right. it does it, and then you cut out uh, Vader and put Voldemort. It's like the entire story of Star Wars is also the entire story of uh, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, and blah blah blah. And then Empire Strikes Back, and and to a lesser extent Return of the Jedi, but especially Empire, it just is this very elegant other thing where they're like everything you maybe expect is not quite going to happen, but it's also going to happen bigger. There's going to be some like romance that wasn't there before. There's going to be some philosophy. Like we're going to get kind of dark and weird for a little bit, but then the action's going to get bigger. And I feel like not to get into Last Jedi yet, but like Last Jedi tried to be a lot of things, but it was very disjointed. And Empire is a lot of things that flow very neatly together, you know? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I might argue, I was thinking about this this time when I was watching it. Is the Millennium Falcon the protagonist of the Empire Strikes Back? I mean, it has an arc because it, it goes from never working. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, it's so funny because everyone is talking trash about the Millennium Falcon in the first movie, and yet mm. it performs perfectly, and it is like a great uh-huh. ship and is like amazing. And everyone's like, "You came here in that? You're braver than I thought." And it's like, there's no cause for that. They took all of that trash talking. Right. They made it the entire plot of The Empire Strikes Back. All right, get ready for this. How, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> How many times does it fail in Empire Strikes At Back? At least three. Four? Three yeah. or four, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love Carrie Fisher's performance the last time it fails. Mm-hmm. She just like sits down in the chair right. and just like puts her hand in her head. Yep. Yeah. Her, her head in her hand. Just, yeah. The thing with Empire, though, is so I'm kind of going to rewind to Child Michael. Yeah. And Child Michael, the way he enjoyed these three movies was Return of the Jedi first, and then the original Star Wars, and then Empire last, because it had the most talking and yep. the yep. opening on Hoth was like, I don't want like terrestrial snow in my Star Wars. I want a space battle if I'm watching Star Wars. So like Why are they fighting on the ground? <laughs> the asteroids stuff is pretty great. Right. Of yeah. like eventually it gets but I I would remember as a kid like wanting to fast forward through parts of it. Right. And so it's this weird, I feel like this this maturing that happens where I feel like you have to have a certain level of maturity to appreciate what is so amazing about the Empire Strikes Back. Right. And I can imagine being, you know, seeing the original Star Wars and then going, oh, they're going to make a second one. We're going to do it again. And then watching The Empire Strikes Back and feeling very frustrated. Because I feel like this is very different. Yeah. And it ends like completely on a cliffhanger and it splits up the characters that we've known and loved. Uh, And I think it pulls it off amazingly. Uh, And again, I think we should talk about this more when we get to Last Jedi time. Um, but, But I do think that is an interesting, like there was a moment in time when all that existed was A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi hadn't been there, hadn't come out yet. And I wonder, like, 
it would just be so interesting to really sit with that and time travel and being that time period. How would you feel coming out of Empire Strikes Back? But you also get like Darth Vader's his father. So like, I don't know. And <laughs> right. also, right. there's so much that we take for granted in the Star Wars yeah. universe yeah. that is right. introduced in Empire Strikes Back. Even the Imperial March does mm-hmm. not appear until Empire Strikes Back, which, which blows my mind. Wait, right. what? The Imperial March theme is not in the original Star Wars in the New Hope. Oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's introduced in Empire. Yeah. John Williams. <laughs> yeah, it's every so time, amazing. Yeah. Every time Vader shows up in the first movie, it's just like jaunty Irish music. It's weird. <laughs> bum, 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 well, also, oh my God. Rewatching Empire, I did, and this is also probably the change in directors um, and just some change in creative control or who was making the decisions. But You mean, you mean George Lucas didn't make it? <laughs> hey, now. Hey. Listen. I'm not going to trash talk George Lucas about the original trilogy. Um, we can save that for later. <laughs> but, um, but I noticed like there was already just kind of like a maturity in, in some of the just the way the shots were framed in some of the early scenes on uh, Hoth. Just really nice framing yeah. where you have, you know, five characters in one frame. There's some depth in the frame. There's C-3PO in the background, but he's kind of involved in the scene in the foreground as Leia. You know, it, there's it's, it's like, oh, this is more like a classic just movie movie like this is really well shot and executed in a way that's not just sci-fi genre you know action which again i think you don't appreciate in the 4-3 version either like i think seeing it right in full widescreen right. where you can appreciate oh this is what this shot is and this is what it means and, and as a kid who's just waiting for like the next base battle you're not appreciating right, right. Yeah. for sure i mean rewatching it the whole thing it the first movie feels very Shakespearean almost where we spend like a ton of time with these two droids. Like it feels like, which I know is having to do with the editing, you know, because there were all of these scenes with Luke earlier that were in the script that they did shoot. And then they just were like, this is not working out. It's too much exposition and stuff. And, and it's too many storylines also because you're, you are following Leia and what's happening with her and Vader and all of that stuff. And it's like really political. And they're like, talking about the empire and they're talking about the emperor duh, 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 and like the rebellion that stuff would totally be difficult to follow if you were also trying to like get on board with Luke too early. But the idea of focusing on these two droids almost as these like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern kind of like. I I wanted to like name check, you know, a lot of Shakespeare plays open with two true random characters. I couldn't name check them because I don't remember who they are. It's like (laughs) Fernando and Barnaby and they're just like having a chat. C-3PO and R2-D2 is who they are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and it is like a really bold choice also because one of them only speaks in bleeps and bloops. (laughs) (laughs) It's just really confident filmmaking for somebody who was still so new as a filmmaker. Well, it's so funny. Yeah, I don't know that we can call it confident. Sure, because it was in the edit, of course. I yeah. feel like the part of the mythos of Star Wars is like, I think it was his ex-wife, right? Lucas's Maria, ex-wife. Yeah. yeah, kind of came in and was like, I'm going to change some edits around and now your movie's good. And like, good call getting John Williams because here's the music that's going to make everything. Right, right. Like, it's a good thing Ben Burt was on board. So like, there was a yeah. lot of like, kind sure. of a mirror. He got saved yeah. many times. Yeah. But it is interesting structurally that, yeah, seven, it's 17 minutes before we meet Luke Skywalker right. yes. in the first movie. Although it's funny because I saw... Um, in, in as I mentioned many times, I've been going to a bunch of Kurosawa films, uh, and The Hidden Fortress is the one exactly. that yeah, George yeah, yeah. Lucas uh, cites. And it's the kind of movie where you watch it, you're not going to go, "Oh, of course that leads to Star Wars." But when you watch it, knowing that he it inspired him, uh, first of all, it's Kurosawa's first uh, widescreen film, I think, so appropriately enough, you know, for the conversation. But then you do open with these two, just sort of like 
uh, common folk, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then they are main characters throughout the movie, but they're not like the main people in the movie. And you're just sort of following, you're seeing the world through their eyes. Right. And then even as, uh, I think it's Toshiro Mifune, even as he's introduced, he's still introduced as like the guy who's sort of following them around and he's there, but he's he's like not even, you're not even focusing on him. Wasn't he supposed of... to play a character in A New Hope or that Lucas Ooh. wanted him to play a character in A New I think Hope? He was, I don't know. Yeah, I have this written, I have all of this written yeah. down somewhere because I did a bunch of like a deep dive into the making of it. But yeah, I, like that, that level of influence. Right. Absolutely there. Watching it again, C-3PO and R2-D2, they're chemistry and their humor and their Amazing. dynamic right mm-hmm. from the beginning of the movie really it really invites you in you know it's not an alienating movie in the sense that you're presenting this kind of strange alien world where everybody kind of talks differently or uh maybe it could be a kind of a just like overwhelm with like what am i looking at but it's just so relatable to watch these two characters and their dynamic and just it's it's genuinely funny like c3po's dialogue with rtd2 is genuinely good writing it's also that fun device of like you don't hear what one character says you just hear the response right yeah. which, which, which also pulls you in you know because uh-huh. you're filling in the blanks and you're mm-hmm. kind of making up what rtd2 said and it's maybe better than what could have been written and oh, i'm yeah, so glad sure. they went yeah. with anthony daniel's performance because they had other actors trying to voice c3po and they were trying oh, wow. other people's performances and eventually they're just like let him let him do it like he's walking around in the character and everything like that and i do wonder if part of it is because we can tell that there's like real people inside these and same thing with like Chewbacca like we understand Vader like you know not that they would do a robot for Vader but you know they're like you're seven and a half feet tall Peter Mayhew the part (laughs) is yours for for Chewbacca yeah Yeah. for Vader it's weird because I feel like David Prowse as like the bodybuilder is not like you can when you've seen this Star Wars as many times as I have, you see that he is not like an actor actor. So every once in a while you have James well, especially Earl Jones. Especially the first movie. Totally. Right. Yeah. You have yeah. James Earl Jones saying something like really deep and profound and terrifying. And then you have David Prowse sort of like just like putting his finger up or something like that. And it's like, <laughs> ah, that's not quite. Meh. And that's so nitpicky that I'm not going to ever, you know, dwell the, on The one that. part that always makes me chuckle is when he's talking out loud about... I haven't felt a presence since. And then he turns. He, he just like turns yeah. very abruptly and walks off. Just, yeah. He just, turns and the other guy's right in his face. Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I was noticing is the tone of A New Hope is unlike like any movie ever, I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. Where like, like you were saying, Alex, like that there are these true droids and they're like funny and it's kind of like fun. But also it's like super like dark. And when the Darth Vader first appears, he's very menacing and like the empire is like like actually listening to what they're talking about and like what Tarkin's like thing is like they're it's really dark and best like he's going to they want princess leia to talk darth vader's like well we have a mind probe it'll take a while <laughs> but like we can do it and he's like no nah, let's go blow up an entire planet just to make her talk and then we're going to kill her right afterwards and like that's a really heavy thing. We also see like uh like fleshy skeleton burnt yeah. bodies in this movie. Oh, <laughs> right. Right. Like yeah. like bloody yeah, like it's skeletons. Like, it's like very graphic depiction of the death of uh, Uncle Owen and Aunt yeah. Peru. You can also yeah. see how distraught Leia was because she's you know it makes her British for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize your foul stance and Vertal's brought on ball. <laughs> well, what you're saying actually, and I wrote this quote down because I think it it is so salient is the word I'm looking for in terms of the appeal of the of Star Wars. And it's Roger Ebert, of course. Um, and he says this, 
What makes the Star Wars experience unique, though, is that it happens on such an innocent and often funny level. It's usually violence that draws me so deeply into a movie. Violence ranging from psychological torment to the mindless crunch of a shark's jaws. Maybe movies that scare us find the most direct route into our imaginations. But there's hardly any violence at all in Star Wars, even then it's presented as an essentially bloodless swashbuckling. Instead, there's entertainment so direct and simple that all of the complications of the modern movie seem to vaporize. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is. It's it's dark. It's violent. It feels like those stakes are real. And yet it is still so entertaining that it doesn't, for lack of a better term, bum you out, right? Mm-hmm. It It is able to, like feel human without feeling like this weighty drama that has to dwell in the violence which is just again this like swashbuckling thing that's like honestly from like the serials like flash gordon and like those like 30s like robin hood kind of like errol flynn things that's how it feels it works so well it's funny because there's um i was just learning about this sort of idea that there are two different ways that we take in entertainment Mm. and there's the hedonic or like sort of hedonistic side of just being entertained and having fun and then there's the udonic which is (laughs) umami i'll get there umami yeah (laughs) same skin roll um but it and then that's the sort of like i appreciate this you know and i think that like we talked about like a movie like prometheus where you're just like I don't care if there's like all sorts of hidden stuff in the wallpaper. Like if I didn't, if I wasn't entertained, it doesn't matter, you know, Mm. and you have other movies that are very entertaining and then you never want to watch them again because you're just like, who cares? Whatever, you know? And I think that's one thing that is sort of star Wars has, especially the, the original trilogy and especially even the, the first movie just sort of nailed was that sort of like, I appreciate what's being said here and there are ideas and there are interesting lines and there's so many little details I can appreciate but I'm just having fun, you know? And I think that like, I remember again, we'll talk about this in a future episode, but walking out of rogue one, just being like the movie just wasn't fun. Like regardless of how you think, whether or not you think it was a good movie or you liked the movie or whatever, like I didn't just kind of like rogue one. I, yeah. I, and I'm not going to like, I'm, argue, rogue one apologize. I'm not, not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about rogue one other than I walked out of it feeling like it was less fun than I expect to have. Sure, sure, sure. You know, speaking of just like having fun. So, it's interesting because I remember as I grew older and I learned that apparently Return of the Jedi is like the least liked of these movies. And I still have a very fond place in my heart for Return of the Jedi. I love it. I absolutely, I will, I am here to defend Return of the Jedi. You just love Ewoks. I don't mind Ewoks. What's wrong with Ewoks? I don't hate Ewoks either. I think they are perfectly fine in the Star Wars universe. I, I agree. I think what struck me this time watching the first 30 minutes of the movie was. Like, oh, it's actually campy before you even get to Ewoks. Oh, like, it's so campy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, don't yeah. get me wrong. I love Return of the Jedi, as I said earlier. But, like, I'm just like, oh, there's a lot of, like, first of all, there's, like, a lot of puppets, you know? I mean, so many. The, the pig guards are pretty goofy looking. Right, wow. yeah, exactly. Like, straight, they're straight Muppets. Bebop like, and Rocksteady, yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Um, but then the Ewoks, I think, yeah, they're, like, cutesy and, like, maybe not congruent with stuff from the first two movies. But also, like, yeah, they're going to eat them and like they're weird and sort of like I mean there are Jawas in the first movie yeah that make cute sounds who are goofy yeah but but they're not teddy bears you can't even see their faces I feel like what I did feel this time watching I kind of skipped through uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi for time reasons but you can feel maybe this is projection but I could feel the oh toys so in Empire Mm. what are some more cool toys and I feel like Return of the Jedi just went so hard on the 
toys, 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 toys. And I, I feel like that started to supersede kind of the, the plot and the movie in a lot of right. ways. Because even like, Jabba's Palace is kind of like a showcase of toys. Right. right. Yeah. There's a reason we know names like Bosk and IG-88 and yeah, right. Bib Fortuna. It's, they Not were everybody toys. knows those. So. <laughs> but Star Wars Rancor nerds know Beasts. those. Largely because there were toys made of everything that was in a frame of right. a, any well, movie. And and to, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, Michael, because it does feel like some of the plot and the character work is getting sacrificed to some of the spectacle um, which, of course, is not a surprise when you get to a third film in a franchise that's as lucrative as this one, right? Because, you know, the studio isn't expecting to make its money back on Star Wars. So the fact that they get to sell any toys is kind of just like an added bonus to it. For Lucas, for, who had the rights Mainly the for Lucas. Um, yeah, but it, it is just like... You absolutely get that sense, especially when you, I don't know if you guys read, I'm sure you have the deep dive into what was their plan in uh, Return of the Jedi. Like, so how were they actually planning to get Han out of there? Because if you like really, it's like a heist kind of. Right. But if you pull it all apart, it makes no damn sense. Like none of it makes any sense. They like... The, when he's frozen in carbonite? Like yeah, from yeah, yeah. Palace. So from Jabba's palace. They, they send in the droids. They send in the droids. Leia comes, but then, like, yeah. but then Lando Calrissian is in there the he's, whole time. He's already time. there. Like, yeah. He's how infil- did he he's get infiltrated. In there? It's yeah. like, like we got everybody in there. Why doesn't he just get him out of there? Like right. it just doesn't make. And if you, yeah, there's there's like a deep dive. Someone did like a whole. If the plan had worked perfectly, right. what was it? What was it? the plan? Yeah. <laughs> I, it, was yeah. this the plan? Doesn't did it work any, perfectly? Doesn't hold any water. You don't see that 3PO, R2, and Lando are all just like slitting throats in the night. And that's what there's. <laughs> that's the plan. R2 yeah. would be very efficient at that. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. Yeah. I feel like there's just something clunkier about the storytelling in, Definitely. in Return of the Jedi. Mm. And even I feel like as a child, I was watching again the scene today of Luke telling Leia that she's his sister. Oh, man. And yeah. I feel like that is. Like it feels like a soap opera, even yeah. the way it's yeah. lit and like the staging. I also feel like Carrie Fisher's it. makeup in Return of the Jedi. Like, what happened? Because it doesn't look that weird in Empire. It's like, also a soap opera with with Han then later. You know, like, right? Because right. you tell Luke, I don't know. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah, hold yeah, hold yeah. me. Hold yeah, me. Yeah, the yeah, line. Yeah. Like getting four shadows of Attack of the Clones here a little bit. Oh in yeah, a very troubling. Which, way. by the way, though, let's talk about Han and Leia's love story in Empire. Right? Because it's so cool like first of all i love that like the whole the when he's like oh you want me to stay because the way you feel about me you know what yeah I, it's like, wonderful I, yeah like i like that they're just people walking through them like walking yes. by it's just sort of like they don't get a quiet moment they're having this you know and then i'm nice men and i love you i know it's just ugh. it reminds me of like a screwball comedy yeah. like classic right. kind of like snappy dialogue yeah that's yeah. a really good call i still can't not think of these movies though as the weirdest love triangle in the galaxy sure right <laughs> because that's how it was set up in the first movie. When you watch it, it's like, this is a love triangle. Like, it's designed to kind of be that way. In the script, when they're about to swing across the thing, Leia's supposed to kiss Luke on the mouth. Right. Like, yeah, that's the correct response. <laughs> Hold on. Well, I would argue, there's in, a, there's in a weird Empire, one. did they know... Who- they were going to be siblings in Empire? No. I don't think so. No. Yeah. So, like, it's obviously re- trying to retrofit this, like, relationship right. onto that, which I don't... I think it works... For the most part, but it still feels like a very weird love triangle. There's a weirder one. Back to the Future. Oh, yeah. That is a much weirder one. <laughs> because you kind of don't get the sense that Leia is all that interested in Luke. Whereas Back to the Future, like, she's That's really totally into true. Marty. For, like, yeah. Like, she's definitely off having By thoughts. the way, if you show that to, like, modern teens, they get really upset by all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it has not aged well. They're like, wait, what? 
so weird that that like didn't even cross my like no me neither yeah she read his underwear (laughs) (laughs) empire one of the things about the way it begins you know i was thinking about is it's such an interesting way to begin a sequel of like time has passed and like we're not Mm -hmm. picking up right after we're not even picking up like a little bit like things have happened uh and the way it kind of like fills us in about like what has happened i feel like is so like effortless and really fun because again like you're saying there's this the banter between like han and leia and so we kind of like i think we it helps us buy the love story because time has passed and we get the sense that this is a thing that's been going on and we're just now kind of getting to jump in because they moved to hoth set up an entire base like there's a very complex operation that's going on there there's a lot of earned like yeah the passage of time kind of thing empire does a really nice job of being like you already have seen all these characters in another movie, but we don't, we can't guarantee you've watched that movie. So like, it gives you a really good sense of these people all know each other and there's stuff happening and they're moving. We're like in media res here or media res or however you pronounce it. But, um, but like, also we're going to let the audience know who these people are and what their relationship is with each other and everything. I think that's really Mm -hmm. cool. With, with continuing action. So like the inciting incident there is like, Han's going to leave, but Luke gets like locked outside because he gets captured by, tell me what that thing is called. A wampa. Thank you. Luke gets captured by a wampa. And then like Han has to stay, but there's that same like, again, there's continuing choices being made on the part of the characters, like choices. He's trying to leave. She wants him to stay. He wants her to want him to stay. That whole thing. Again, it is continuing a story but because they're the characters are making active choices, the character development is also happening in the moment. So it doesn't require us to know. We don't have to know what happened in the years or months or however long right. it's been since they moved to Hoth. That stuff is not important. What is important is what's happening right now. Because again, the situation is forcing the characters into new choices that mm-hmm. are then revealing character. And that's something I love about the just the the whole feel of those movies they're always moving there's always yes. like yes. there's a new set piece there's always now they're on a different planet this planet has it's foresty it's icy it's whatever which has continued on to all of the star wars movies which i think is great but even in return of the jedi where they're on tatooine again they return to dagobah they there's a second death star which is a weird you know choice for the third movie in your franchise um but it looks but really like, cool because it's half built right and that's what that's <laughs> what i mean like all those things that they return to in return of the jedi still feel new and interesting like you don't feel like oh we're on tatooine where we were in the first movie like no we're in like this weird dirty you know corner of tattooing uh dagobah similar but you know he's only there for a few minutes yeah well and i feel like the other thing in empire that i was appreciating was just how like the design of the pairing of the characters are like mm. they're paired with exactly the characters to provide the most conflict yes. right yeah, that's such right. a classic thing but it it really works where it's like you know han and leia have their thing and they're stuck with c-3po who's like the third wheel of like <laughs> right it's, it's just hilarious um and and yeah luke kind of getting to train with a jedi master but it being yoda like the last like, yeah and getting, and getting kind of schooled yeah. by yoda like it's right. not like they do it's not, not along. it's not a, a positive reinforcement a lot of the time it's like yoda's kind of chastising him yeah and there's always new conflicts that are thrown into relationships once they reach some kind of stasis so like think about in uh, empire when han and leia have kind of like they've kissed in that I don't know where they are, somewhere on the Falcon, but like 
they've kissed and they kind of talk about how they feel about each other and they're like comfortable and whatever throw Lando Calrissian right into the middle of it <laughs> right my 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 <laughs> <laughs> who do we have here you truly belong with us among the clouds <laughs> Thank he's you. so sleazy and beautiful he's so yeah. good but that's what i mean is like the minute that any kind of stasis is reached they throw something else in and so like you know vader and luke even kind of luke is like i he's my father i have to go like save him he's not gonna hurt me da, da, da. throw the emperor into there finally where right. like he becomes this person that creates new conflict and forces them to make new decisions it's just really smart writing well, and i just <laughs> I appreciate how like simple all of it is too. Like like Luke on Dagobah, it's just it's Luke and it's Yoda and it's R2 and you have his ship and there's a cave and like those are like the only elements basically and they find ways to make all of it compelling and find new ways of exploring it and like there's a meaning to that he crashed into the lake and like you know using the forest to raise it up. Like I just appreciate that they keep it so simple and focused you can track what is meaningful about the things being done unless you're like two-year-old me that does not understand the cave scene whatsoever oh yeah, oh, yeah. The, cave, oh, the cave scene broke my child brain yes. i thought so, vader yeah. was him also yeah. in, uh in return of the jedi when he cuts off <gasps> vader's hands yes and and he, he looks down at his own black glove hand i thought it was like oh every if he kills vader he becomes him or whatever I've, like which metaphorically it kind of does yes. this is like so cathartic for me brian like i wrote that down of like i thought i was the only one that thought that like, <laughs> young michael did not get metaphor. Wait, hand hug. Hand hug. Wait, like, hand like, hug. wait, hold on. What do you think that like his hand like transferred to Luke's because, hand? Because I or? hadn't remember it. Like I, that was the only one I had. So I had. Oh right. If I had seen the first two, I didn't remember them. So I see he cuts off Vader's hand. He looks down at his right hand, which has a black is, glove yeah. on. Right, right. And his other one doesn't. And I was like, oh, he like has now magically transformed. Every right. part you cut off of Darth Vader is going to appear on your body. <laughs> oh my right. god, that's like some serious force magic. Mm-hmm. It is though really nice screenwriting in terms of like symbol and metaphors which is absolutely talking about that moment where luke looks and realizes how he is becoming vader right like having lost that hand of his to vader and then like and and that hand hand is a mechanical hand now like vader and the shots the shots where he is like beating vader essentially with the lightsaber are so so upsetting yeah so good mark hamill's performance in that moment is really scary it's chilling because up until that point i kind of don't believe he's good he might turn right right and you absolutely have to believe that in order for any of those scenes with the emperor to have weight and when he really starts to get angry at vader and really goes after him and his face becomes this like mask of rage (laughs) it's it's chilling it's great yeah. well, and so this is why i'm here for return of the jedi because okay but all of its goofy flaws all of the bad lighting and makeup and the hold me and all that aside i have such a thing when it when a third movie in a trilogy delivers i am so happy and satisfied and like there's nothing i love more in the cinematic experience when like the finale of a big huge thing that has been spanning all this time and all this emotion actually lands in a way that like gives like me Avengers the... Endgame. Yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you're invest if you're invested in those characters, sure. Um but but like Return of the King for me. Like yeah, it's yes. same thing. Like I loved Return of the King despite it being kind of weird in some parts and, and a lot corny. of and corny and a lot of things I did not like about it. But I forgave it all because it gave me the catharsis I wanted. Like if I get that like 
big catharsis to this franchise I've invested in, like I forgive a lot. And both the uh, the space battle in Return of the Jedi is Hell to it's the still yes. it's still like my gold standard for a space battle, and I still haven't really seen a better one. Like even the effects, like when they fly into the Death Star two. It's the, so cool. The coolest visuals, and mm. it's like, so kinetic and so amazing. Like, I would like to submit for coolest shot ever when they're on their way out, and so it's like yes. pulling back, and then like the the stuff yeah. comes. I yes. can't even describe. Well, it's it's so cool. There's these repeating geometric patterns <laughs> that yeah. the Millennium Falcon is zooming through, and it's just the most kinetic, amazing feeling. They watching come into that. the foreground, and yeah. it's like so. I've noticed it yeah. th- this time when I was watching it. I was like. Damn, that shot is cool. I mean, everything that the Falcon does is so cool. Yeah. Like the way that it maneuvers. Like I saw the the model of the Millennium Falcon in real life at a traveling exhibit once, and it's four feet. So you know, it's got like it, obviously the incredible amount of detail that we see, you know, on our screens and everything like that. But just how cleverly envisioned it is, and the way that it moves, and how unique it is. No other ships in the Star Wars universe look anything like the Falcon, and right. it's like so cool how it can like go through spaces yeah. that are so tight they, like they, that. And like, I love how they every movie takes advantage of that. You know, yes. in in Empire, they're going through those canyons on the on the mm-hmm. meteor, and yeah, and they, and they kind of like trench run part two and return of the jedi it's like the exact same thing and i think also but yeah besides the amazing space battle which i still have yet to see a better one basically uh the the emotional catharsis we were talking about with luke vader and the emperor is just so epic and so and i remember like as a child feeling the intensity of those scenes and like the weight of it and like i think once i'd watched it enough and i was old enough to get like the plot more the the like just great writing of everything's going according to the emperor's plan you're all here for like as part of his design return of the jedi gave me everything i want from the finale to a thing yeah and it, i haven't seen many other examples that d- besides like return of the king that like really gave that to me the way i wanted well and i'll add on to that that i think it kind of set up this like the trio finale thing that mm. now right. like every star wars movie has to do basically but we're you're tracking the forest moon battle and the space battle and like Luke and Darth right. Vader and like the intercutting between that just like there's just constant momentum yeah. building. And they're that. all like really well done. I, so, well, yeah. I think that that's even true. I was thinking of that with Luke on Dagobah. Like it's not just now the movie for 15 minutes is Luke on Dagobah. It's here's a couple minutes and right. then we cut to some other stuff and then we cut back. And I think that like movies need to take advantage of that ability more often that like if you're gonna have a sort of like slow kind of meta contemplative philosophical luminous beings are we not this crude matter my favorite Uh, line so good Uh, like then you don't have to just live there for 15 minutes you can sort of come back because i found myself just like the the yoda stuff which is more less actiony i found myself being like oh i forgot we have to cut away now we're gonna come back to it later like i was excited to come back to the most like um, sedate part of the entire trilogy just because we were cutting away from it. We weren't just like living in that scene for a while. And I think that's really cool. I mean, and you absolutely have to have it. Like you have to have that counterpoint and be tracking Luke's journey. And like we were talking about how long it takes to meet Luke in the first movie. Um, and then like it does sort of feel a little um, convenient that he can like, now he hears you know, now he can hear Obi-Wan in his head and he just like trusts the force. And I'm, I'm not criticizing the first Star Wars movie, but I 
I really like want to shout out that choice of spending that amount of time like working on Luke's like development because then you have to have him if he does not face Vader in A New Hope at all because he absolutely could not. And if you tried to throw Luke and Vader together in A New Hope and Luke at all came out alive, you'd be like, BS, that doesn't make any sense. We've spent all of this time building up the power of Vader. Let's bookmark this for the for new trilogy episode. Oh, yeah. Awakens. Okay, we will. Right, I was uh, just thinking that. Exactly, but like you, you cannot, you would not believe it. And so the way that New Hope like cleverly keeps Luke from confronting Vader, Empire like builds it up and builds it up. And then Luke loses that battle very much so still is not cut out to face Vader. And then you don't buy it until the third one in the series. Wow, it's really, really good in terms of like a three movie arc, yeah, which of course no one guarantee, no one is promised that they will get. But right. like, it's, it's good restraint. Wow. Instead yes. of just skipping ahead to like yes, yes, yes. the final right. thing. Yeah. And, and it's it, something I love about the third movie is you have Jedi Luke, you know, mm. like him green light I'm I'm like I'm a green lightsaber guy like you know <laughs> you got him just showing up and he's like working his way through the guards at Jabba's palace and then Jabba's yacht sequence which is just yeah. still so much fun yeah. the whole R2 throwing the thing and he jumps off the diving board and you know <laughs> I thought you were blind like it's great well I think the other thing that I found funny watching it again was how explicit in the end of Empire both Yoda and Obi-Wan are of like you are not ready your training is not done right. do yes. not face Darth Vader and then in yes, Return yes, of the yes. Jedi, he goes back to Yoda as instructed. And Yoda's like, no, you're done. You're done training. And actually, you got to go face Vader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. right. And like, I, and I think there's like, you know, expanded universe stuff of like Luke training himself, I guess, a little bit more between Empire and Return of the Jedi. Well, but the I force just, is very strong with him. So, yeah, hmm. I, just, I found it was I thought it was very interesting and kind of funny how an Empire, it's like very explicit. Your training is not done. And it's very bad to do anything right now until your training is done. And then he's like, your training is done. What a bold decision. Well, it's also, it's also. (laughs) No, I like it. I mean, from a writing standpoint, it just, it's really smart. It's also conflict. He has to choose whether to save his friends. Like he has a strong premonition. His friends will die if he quits his training, unless he quits his training. And he does. Right. Basically, like you said, Alex, he has to then face the consequence. It's it's a great, it's a great plot device in Empire Strikes Back. And I just am chuckling at the kind of plot hole of like, they yeah. don't explain when he finished his training. Yeah. Cause right. like now he's ready in return of the Jedi, but how did he get ready? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> through, through field experience. Well, sure. and Maybe. even between a new hope and empire, he like knows how to do things that he did. It's know. true. Like, it's true. And each one, he like levels up and like, what, eh, what you fine. don't see is him saying, well, I'm back. I fought Vader and all I lost was a hand. And Yoda's like, damn. All right. <laughs> yeah. Guess you're good. Yeah. I was just thinking about that. I'll die like, now. That is one of the, the, maybe the only like kind of criticism I have of the trilogy is like, is that, that the, like you're saying, Alex, so much weight is put on. Like if you go now, bad things will happen one way or another. And he goes and basically everything's fine. And I, I, I'm now thinking he about, loses a hand. He loses his hand, but like they have, he gets a new one in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just as good. Uh, but I was thinking about how you know Harrison Ford really wanted to die in really the Jedi, mm-hmm. and I feel like that maybe Thus the would have made sense arc-wise. Where like if to make to add weight to that choice that Luke makes, like there does have to be some kind of sacrifice. Like he isn't able to completely save his friends and save the world and all together. Right. I don't know. Well, while we're talking about three movie arcs, we really need to talk about Leia's for a second. 
because I feel like if there's one criticism I have of the original trilogy, it's Leia's arc and how lost it gets in everything else. She's such a badass in the first movie. And she's written that way. And of course, Carrie Fisher is amazing from start to finish in every frame of that. Just like, you know, she's like five foot two and looking up at Vader and she's like, I don't care. Come at me. Come like, at me. Yeah. <laughs> she's amazing. And, and and like I said, the character is written that way and she's so fierce and like, and, and is driving the plot, like her agency in like refusing to give up the rebel base and like all of this stuff from the very top of a new hope. She has so much to do. Like, and she's so important to the plot. You can't have a star Wars movie. You can't have a new hope without Leia. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that true? Of Empire, maybe, maybe not. Is that true of Return of the Jedi? Definitely not. Return. Not, yeah. unfortunately. And it's so like, you actually can, three character arcs, you know, and if, I guess you count Vader's. Um, it's a lot to hold, but it's not impossible. You could have given Leia more to do in Return of the Jedi. You could have given her like, oh, look, she found an Ewok. No, they're friends. Like, right. that's, when, which, if, which like, turns out to be inconsequential plot wise, right? And like, if, if there is another, if she is the other Skywalker, this like, is what I'm saying. why can't that pay off within the original trilogy a bit more? Right. right. Leia is only one toy, but a bunch of Ewoks, that's a bunch of toys. This goes back, I mean, I hear exactly what you're talking. I, I'm not sure that's the entire financial no, decision. But it's like you could have given Leia something really meaningful to do in Return of the Jedi. And you kind of didn't. All she becomes is like this plot device for Han to do things. Like Han's going to do a thing because Leia's over there. But that's not enough. Like you set up this, you created one of the most badass and amazing like female characters i hate to have to say it that way but like you set up a princess who actually like is gets shit done yeah so is not princessy is not princessy in any way like the minute they show up to rescue her in a new hope she's like you guys suck at rescuing i'll fix this really hate each other actually for quite a bit of new hope like they're just yelling at each other it's great (laughs) again going back to like throwing characters who are in conflict with each other right somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way yes you know They're really bitchy to each other. (laughs) I miss like bitchy Leia. Where is she? I want her in Return of the Jedi. And instead we have this like docile. Hold me. Hold me. Shoot me. Although I I do like, you know, the the callback moment where they get surrounded and then Han sees that she has the gun and he says, I love you. And she says, I know. And then she shoots the guy. They gave her. (laughs) They give her some moments. A moment. Yeah. Yeah. And she kills Jabba. Come on. But like. That is true. But I agree with you about everything. But I was thinking about this up until the moment she kills Jabba. She's like so silent. Like, yeah, why right. is she She's just, just like sitting and what there? And what does she have to wear in order to kill right, Jabba? Of course, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's so objectifying that, like, I get it. It's gross. Like, they're trying to make Jabba gross, and he is. But like, why would a sl- and that's a whole other conversation? <laughs> but yeah, they yeah, give I mean. her that moment, and then they let her shoot like a thing, a stormtrooper at the end, and that's kind of it. But you could have really fleshed out that storyline and given her a lot to do. And and I'm just, I wish a little more from that. And they have, to their credit tried to make the new trilogy more about I was going to say, Leia. I feel like this is a thing that I definitely want to circle back Let's to. Let's circle when back we to it for sure. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. obviously it's unfortunate that whatever their plan was for nine is not going to yeah. happen. Man. But um, okay. Mourning it forever. Last question I want to ask, just because I'm really curious. Do we like the unmasking of Darth Vader at the Ooh. end of Return of the Jedi? Yes. 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 
I do. There's a little bit of the logic parts of it where he's like, if I unmask you, you'll die. Well, I'm going to die anyway. Well, okay then. Like, there's a pretty. I, that makes pretty sense bit, to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like pretty quick on Luke's part where he's like, well, if you insist. I mean, they're going to blow up. No, no, no. That's true. Um, what it, what bugs you about it, Michael? I, I don't know. I guess it's one of those things that I wish I could go back and see them all for the first time and witness my thoughts on revealing Vader because I feel like I've always known what Vader looks like in that moment. But I feel like it, it is. I do remember some memory as a child being so shocked by like, wait, this old man with an egg head with like a crack in the middle is like, that's Darth Vader. But like, it's also this beautiful moment that I really appreciate in a lot of ways and for somehow, like somehow it seems removed from the rest of my conception of Vader still. So I don't know. It was just, I was watching it and was struck by it and was just curious. Well, I think that's why it works reactions. so well is because of the kind of shock of seeing the vulnerability. Right. There's a human sure. under Of here. this like kind of frail, weird looking man, you know, like it, it takes away all of the um, menace and just makes him kind of like a sad a sad old man and i and yeah i i have never it's never tainted my experience of vader in the rest of the trilogy knowing that that's how it ends like i kind of forget about it you know and then it's kind of just a beautiful moment when it comes i agree with you in the sense that when i first saw it it seemed to steal something of like vader's power um in a way that I bumped on for sure um, the first time I saw it when I was who knows how old, very young. But I do think it's a smart choice just objectively because we have to believe that there really is some. And because of the nature of these films as like a space opera, you kind of just have to like buy some of the stilted, like like we said, Shakespearean, like this is my father. <laughs> I love him. Like he is whatever, you know, I, my father before me, I'm a Jedi. You have to kind of buy those theatrics. And I think in that sense, the unmasking of Vader is very operatic and and therefore like a very reasonable good strong choice yeah i don't know I, I i don't i personally don't like luke why do you care this guy has tried to kill you a thousand times sure he's <laughs> your father but he literally has never met you and doesn't even know you have a sister apparently <laughs> what until he reads your mind like why why does he know that you he has a son but he doesn't know that he also has a daughter if they're twins well just... there's answers lying in the next episode uh, <laughs> there truly are too but... many answers <laughs> <laughs> i forgot most of them but i guess i'll be revisiting I'm just saying, them i'm just saying you have to this formalism of space opera necessitates that choice almost and in that sense i think it's the right one brian so before we wrap up uh, I got to go to a thing. It was shocking. Five years ago. Oh, um, Jason Reitman yes. uh, used to do these staged readings of screenplays uh, with actors who were friends of his and stuff. So I was the Ace Hotel in downtown LA, and it was the original script of Empire Strikes Back, which you talk about the sort of operatics and floweriness and all that kind of stuff. It was wow. <laughs> like there are moments where you're like, yikes. Um, but I'll the, not leave you behind. <laughs> yes. But the cast was uh, Jason Reitman as narrator and R2-D2, uh, <laughs> Kevin Pollack as Yoda, Stephen Merchant as 3PO. Yes. Oh my God. Dennis Haysbert of Allstate fame as Lando. <laughs> yes, I love Dennis Haysbert. Jessica Alba as Leia. And Ellen Page as Han Solo. Oh yes. my god, that's awesome! <laughs> that's Aaron so Paul cool. as Luke. 
Perfect. Nice, nice. And then J.K. Simmons as Vader. Yeah. Like, dude. this was like a few days after he won an Oscar. Dude. And he comes walking from the back of the theater surrounded by Stormtroopers and oh he's in all black. I could not. And that was the only cast announced. Then there were two surprises. One was just a ridiculous surprise, which was Rain Wilson as Chewbacca. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> nice, nice. Who literally just showed up to go, ha. Ah. That's great. <laughs> he didn't nice. even try to do the noise. He just kind of yelled every time <laughs> Chewbacca said anything. And then as Obi-Wan, the Emperor, and Boba Fett, Mark Hamill walked out. Dude. Oh, nice. Oh, of course. And I lost my mind. I was the third row center. Like, I was like really <gasps> close. And, uh, and I lost my mind. Nerdgasm. And, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. Were you so, crying? I'm crying listening to I think to I this. cried just when Mark Hamill walked out. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah, I was yeah. just not expecting it after Incredible. that. Incredible. Yeah. How? Wait. So do you have anything like I know we're trying to get like closer to the end here, but what did you take away from the original draft of Empire that you didn't get from the movie? Just that the, there was some writing that was silly. Like, <laughs> I, I wish I could remember some of the lines and stuff, but it was like the entire room was just going, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just stage direct. It wasn't even, yeah, you know, it was yeah, just yeah. like a sparkle in Yoda's eye tells Luke that it's, you know, whatever, just some ridiculous stuff. Nice. That's awesome. The closest Star Wars fame encounter i had was that carrie fisher asked me to hold her coca-cola once wow that was really exciting did you melt into a wait hold on hold on coca-cola it was a it was a diet coke technically i don't know i just (laughs) want to paint a picture it's a coca-cola i was like was it the 1950s i know (laughs) (laughs) all right why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take from the original trilogy of star wars everything yikes and a half (laughs) Uh, Brian, oh god! Kick us off? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's such a like everything we spoke about, but there is this sort of sense of like finding something to latch onto that's fairly simple, and yeah. then just sort of like going everywhere with it, but never straying too far from from that point. And I I really want to talk about Last Jedi because I think that it's like the original trilogy arguably not every scene or every moment but like it does a really good job of being like here's this thread of what star wars is and we're never going to go too far from that but we're also not going to get comfortable we're not just like now we're going back to tatooine to check in on whatever it's like no we're off now we're like off on this three film thing where we're never getting comfortable again we're going to have moments of quiet and moments of crazy and all points in between but we're moving from point a to point b and like and and we're sort of always staying true more or less to this singular thing that we are doing and i don't know how that's a lesson i don't know what you do with that but like it makes sense there's 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 a boundedness to the world and mm-hmm. yet you're not keeping it too narrow. It's like, right. it's a really fine line. Like how do you expand the universe with each film without jumping the shark? And like, how do you know when you're jumping the shark if you're making up the universe? But, it splits the characters yeah. up in a really clever way. Like think about the way that, you know, they're all in one place. This goes back to like what you're talking about, not getting comfortable. They're all on Hoth. The minute that they're all like, we're all on Hoth, Han's like, I'm leaving. Luke's like, I'm going to get captured by this abominable snowman. (laughs) The Empire's like, we're going to come in and smash this whole thing up. There is no point in which there is like, yeah, a home 
for the characters. And and so by forcing these characters to be nomadic, you have something incredibly dynamic where they are then sort of always out on an adventure. They are never brought back to like any sort of homestead or hearth or, you know, those kinds of like ideological locations. It's, I mean, you can't do it with everything, but in an epic like this, it's good idea. It's smart writing. Yeah. I, th- I thought of this when I was watching, um, Castle in the Sky, the Miyazaki movie earlier this year. And I was just like, they're like running from people the whole time. And then they're like, they get trapped in a cave and there's a guy there who she knows. So like they're talking to him and then they go somewhere else and now they're hiding out here. And I was just like, we don't get many like just pure adventure movies these days where it's just people like moving through space and like stopping for like along the way, you know, it just doesn't happen that much. And I I think what I was taking from what you were saying a, a minute ago though, Brian, when you kind of very briefly mentioned the new movies in Last Jedi mm. is I feel like Last Jedi for me went to places that didn't feel anymore like they existed within the same universe mm-hmm. as everything else. Like like they crossed that imaginary line, which I don't know how you necessarily know what that is line is until you cross planet? it. Of course. <laughs> of course it's the casino planet. And like the guy in the text playing the dice that the lady told him to go find whatever. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get come to back. That. We'll okay, get to okay, that. Okay, stay tuned. Anyway, uh, sorry. I just, wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to point out that I feel like the original trilogy somehow stayed, it, it really expands the universe with each movie, and yet you never have that weird feeling of like, oh, wait, we just left. Right. We left this universe and went into like a weird other one. Maybe that's because we're just used to the original trilogy, but there's yeah. certainly an element of that. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, you know, the lines if there is a center of all of this and it's a new hope and a line gets drawn to empire, that's one line. And then a line to return of the Jedi. That's, you know, there's only a couple lines by last Jedi we're 12 movies in or whatever. Right. So I feel like there's, I feel like the lines get harder in the sand, but there, I don't know. It's, we'll, we'll talk I mean, about I mean George Lucas Jedi. himself in the prequels crossed lines, which I do not think, Right. Feel like Star Wars. I feel like the idea of how <laughs> we create these lines is yeah. something I definitely want to explore in our. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Movie. What, what exactly are the bounds of this bulletin board or whatever? Like we're willing to put like Tatooine and the forest moon of Endor on the same cork board, but we're not willing to put the casino. What is the name of the casino planet? It doesn't matter. Oh, we'll talk about Canto bite. Canto bite. Thank yes. you. We're not willing to put Canto bite on that same bulletin board. I, right. anyway. Yeah. But actually my lesson is related to the one that you were talking about, which, so this and I feel like I say the word archetype and archetypal quite a lot on this podcast. George Lucas sat down and read Joseph Campbell's Heroes of a Thousand Faces, which is about like cross-cultural ancient storytelling. Like what is it that across all cultures, essentially human cultures and recorded history, why do, why do stories take this form? right? Like our most ancient epics, our most ancient, all of these things. We can get into like some of the theories about why. Um, Like why is it that, you know, all of these myths sound so similar from like all of these disparate cultures from times and centuries and whatever that is. There's like a lot of psychological and like sociological, all of those ideas about why. But there is something about tapping into this epic storyline that these movies just do really well and really cleanly. Like you can use this movie and I have to teach screenwriting because the, the like acts and beats and heroes choices and all of that stuff, they're perfect. Um, 
And so like, you know, this is often compared to the Wizard of Oz or things like Lord of the Rings that we've been talking about. It's just really neat and clean. And so it gives all of the, because what, as you were saying, Brian, you can do an infinite number of things with the world if you have this like very clean cut human story. And there is something pure entertainment about it. It almost, but it's still really meaningful. You know, it's Harry Potter. Like it's almost like the cuts of a key that when you like insert it into the human heart, it like unlocks it. And so that's what Star Wars is. And that's why we're all here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My lesson kind of relates to that, but also like because I'm rereading or not rereading, I'm reading Harry Potter for the first time. I was <gasps> definitely catching a lot of those Harry Potter Welcome. things. And in uh, the cantina, when Obi-Wan slices off the guy's arm and it falls on the ground, I was like, the Ministry of Magic is going to be so <laughs> upset at you, Obi-Wan. Are you allowed to use magic and all these muggles? Dumbledore would never do that. Yeah. So, so my lesson that I'm kind of taking away is just the importance of simplicity and i feel like that's kind of like what you were getting at also is this if you have this very simple archetypal uh story that just is solid and makes sense like and kind of like what you were saying too brian like don't stray too far like keep it simple i feel like is is the thing that i'm just like really ratcheting you can have a right really now. rich world to support a simple entertaining story yeah, yeah. And with it, with all of these like you have the mentor and the gatekeeper yeah. and the like friends and allies and the shapeshifter like all of these you know types that we see from like ancient literature here they are they work and i feel like even like in a scene level or, or sequence level like the the number of elements at play are relatively small and they just find interesting ways to create drama with you know this room that they put them in metaphorically yes. speaking and so the conflict is coming from the characters and the situation and not like well what if this other thing came in and happened and like messed it all up like the, i feel like there's very little you know deus ex machina like we gotta go because now this other thing is happening like there's just really solid character conflict throughout so much of this trilogy and it's it's really impressive i think mm-hmm Alex, Alex, you want to take us home? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I already kind of mentioned this before, but just from a directorial standpoint, uh, I I want more space battles, and <laughs> and I want space battles to look like these space battles because, especially, I mean, I love the trench run in a New Hope; it's great, but you can see the the leaps forward in technology and Empire, and then Return of the Jedi, and just the choreography and the just the framing. And the way it's cut, it, there's such an elegance to just watching these beautiful images in space, and but they're thrilling, you know. And I really don't know if you can like improve upon it that much. Like we don't need to be like zooming and doing 360 like mm. rotations and like you know like there's stuff in the prequels, like in the opening of Episode Two. There's like a quote unquote like long take, I think, where oh, it's the, three. Oh, is that three? Yeah. Yeah. The space battle. Yeah, the oh, right. Three. Yeah. Four yeah. yeah. exclamation points. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but just 
like that wasn't an improvement to me on just the simple, beautiful choreography of the of the space scenes in Empire and Return of the Jedi. And so I would love to make or see somebody else make uh, just a space movie where we can use the most modern technology to render the images more crisply. But as far as the shot construction and the editing and the way it's just presented to the audience, just do it the way they did it back then. Like that was good and better and I can follow what's happening and I'm enjoying it and I'm thrilled. Yeah. So that's that's my takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. Cool. Great. Why don't we quickly go around and say what we've been watching recently? Trisha? Um, so I got to go to an advanced screening of Terrence Malick's new film, A Hidden Life. And I was just really, really overall impressed by it. I have seen every Terrence Malick movie. And I am a huge fan. And so in his last recent couple of films, like Song to Song and Night of Cups, have been kind of a slog to get through. And they deliver some of the Malick stuff that you want. But then they're also, like, in no uncertain terms, not a movie. (laughs) Um, I haven't seen them kind of for that reason. Yeah, which is like... (laughs) Again, if that's what you're, if you don't mind that from your Malick films, which I would say even like the most quote unquote commercial Malick films are like ah, borderline a movie. Right. Um, if you don't, but if you don't mind totally not a Malick film, I mean, totally not a movie from your Malick films, then you might like those movies. But I really struggled with them. But A Hidden Life actually is a movie in the sense that there is a plot there are characters, there is conflict, there are discernible acts. Each one of them is an hour long or more, (laughs) but they do exist. And so for that reason, I was like, this is in in a lot of ways a return to form for Malik where he is telling a story. Um, And it is so unbelievably gorgeous that I... I just can't even describe what it looks like. Some of the landscape shots in that setting are just like, what? This is a real place? So this I was what? I was weeping by the end of that movie, just very openly and loudly. And everyone in the theater was like very upset by it, I think. Um, but it, honestly, the things that made me well, cry the well, most the- were the landscapes because they would yeah. just, you'd have this like intense human drama uh, and then they would cut to this mountain shrouded in mist with these like in the foothills in the foreground with like waving fields of tall grass and it's like what are you doing to me Terrence Malick it's just so beautiful and and obviously like so I'm a huge fan of nature poetry and so it, it is very much treading in that like all Malick movies are but this one especially is like the human drama is about nature and and the way that the seasons echo like the seasons of life all all of this stuff it's really incredibly beautiful it is three hours long so get ready like get all your (laughs) snacks and whatever you need before you sit down to watch it um august deal and valerie pockner um are amazing in it they're the two main characters my boy matthias schonertz is in it i love him so much he's only in it for like three minutes and i was like man i wish there was more of him in it but um and then the score is by james newton howard and, oh my god the score oh, the score it's a, it's like one of james newton howard's best I easily think. Yeah. and he's such i mean he's so virtuosic at every moment yeah. anyway but he's incredible in this and so yeah absolutely if especially if you are into history and this is a real life story and the movie sort of like 
completes the arc of the story of a real person in just this devastatingly beautiful way. Uh, Michael, go ahead. Yeah, last night I saw uh, a early screening of Knives Out, the Ryan Johnson movie. So jealous. Alex and I went. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I feel like it was really fun to see where he took himself after all the Last Jedi stuff. And it was like, he said he wrote the script in six months and started January 2018 and they were filming and it was done by the end of the year. So it was like this really fast uh, process, but you could tell how much fun they had making it. And it's like a whodunit uh, murder mystery that's like this kind of classic, you know, throwback to whodunits, but also modernized and with a really interesting kind of perspective on it. And it kind of does some interesting things with the the genre. Uh, and it was just so much, it was just fun. It was just funny. And the cast is amazing. Yeah. Um, and it was just absolutely delightful. And there was a Q&A with him afterwards. And it was, I feel like I vibe with Ryan Johnson's energy. Well, I, I was, I was with Michael at the screening and like, Ryan Johnson just strikes me as such like a like a decent, lovely human being. And it just gives me hope of like, oh, wow, like you can be a, like a really nice, lovely person and like be successful in Hollywood. Like that does happen. One of my good <laughs> friends interned for him when we were in college when all he had made was Brick. Mm. And they were working on the Brothers Bloom. And he said he was just wonderful. Basically. Yeah, he just his energy is, and like his energy just thing. seems yeah. so friendly and lovely and yes. like I would love to work with him. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So thumbs up. Go see it. Bry? Brian. Let's tie from uh, Star Wars Harrison Ford to he is no longer Jack Ryan, but John Krasinski is now Jack Ryan. Such a smooth. You see wow, what I did yeah, there? Whoa. Yeah. Very smooth. Um, I didn't even notice. <laughs> I I am not like when it comes to sort of like war movies or political movies or whatever, I just find myself like tuning out and I'm just like, I don't know what this is. First season of Jack Ryan just totally worked for me. And I was like, I like this a lot. I just, I liked Krasinski, but I just liked the story. And I was excited for the second season to finally come out and it finally did. And I crushed it in a day because of course I did. <laughs> and, and I feel like the first episode was just setting up a bunch of this like well we you know there's such and such in this country and this president is doing this and i'm just like ah, i, I want to like this but i just don't know what's going on and then what they did was i think the second episode they made it personal and i'm like ooh, now i care about what this protagonist cares about and i want the thing that he wants for him you know and I, it just made me realize how important that is is that like even if you don't understand all of the sort of details and minutiae of like what the plot is and something if you if you care about a character and what they are after you're like cool i'm on board you know and it and it i really like the way that the season sort of opens up around the second episode and then you're like ooh it just sort of like became this bigger story and then now there's several different stories and i care about all these several stories and then of course by the end of the season then it they all kind of drill together and they all mm. come together and everything and it's just yeah i liked it a lot cool alex uh, so i've been watching watchmen on yeah. hbo and uh as of this recording i'm only four episodes in um more will have come out by the time this airs but um and there's so much to talk about with this show i'm not really going to get into it uh i i found it very intriguing um i didn't i never read the original watchmen uh, like graphic novels i just saw like the Zack snyder movie which i know is like not the same mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> at all. it certainly is not at all yep. no um what i've found what i really appreciated about this new series is uh you can tell that and i've heard him say this in interviews damon lindelof 
that he really wanted to take the spirit of the original material and think about what is the political, you know, sociological issues of our time. How would the original Watchmen yeah. kind of sensi- sensibility yeah, yeah, approach yeah. this? Yeah. Let's do that. Um, so it's very fascinating uh, world he's created that is a sequel to the original Watchmen universe, but you know, time has passed. We're in a different age and it's an alternate universe and where some things are very different from our world. So the world's already interesting. The thing that is still frustrating for me because it's Damon Lindelof and I was a huge lost fan and I do like the mystery box thing to some degree, but he just, he really pushes it sometimes where he's (laughs) like, here's this totally batshit crazy thing. And you're not going to understand at all how it fits into anything else for like, maybe most of the season because uh, I would like to leave you waiting and assume that like the fact that you have like a hundred questions is enough to keep you watching yeah. a story. And sometimes it's like just questions don't make me watch a maybe story. Maybe two questions right. is enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the world he's created, the characters that are in the world, especially as the episodes have gone on and in- introducing new characters that are really intriguing, really mm-hmm. fun. Also, I'm, Regina uh, King is amazing. Uh, Regina yes. King is amazing, yeah. yeah. Uh, the whole cast is amazing. Um, so I'm... I'm hooked. I'm in, but I'm just a little bit frustrated. It's just like, oh, I, like you got me, but I'm like a little mad that you got me because you can't do this, Damon Lindelof. You can't do this all the time. Do you happen to know who did the music for the show? Oh, yes, right. I do. The music is stellar by Absolutely Trent stellar. Reznor and Atticus Ross. Yeah. You don't say. Yeah. Um, so of course I was excited for the show, and I did read the source material. I'd always meant to. I had had a copy, and I just never got around to it. I read it earlier this year. And it's spectacular. I can't what, believe I read a graphic novel before all of you guys. <laughs> what the heck is happening? I'm a bad geek. Um, <laughs> but what I, what's cool about the, the book is it was 12 comic books originally. And each book ends with like little snippets of, oh, it's like a case file or it's a chapter from someone's autobiography. Mm-hmm. So these little other things that exist in the world. And HBO's site has been doing that after every episode. There's like the cool. same little articles and stuff like that. The soundtrack, the score, is being released over three volumes. And as of this recording, the first volume has come out. And there's a band in the universe of the new show called Sons of Pale Horse. So the, set, the score doesn't say Trent Reznor Atticus Ross's name once on it. It's just the Sons of Pale Horse album and all the like title tracks from that album, or the, the tracks from that album. And then inside the album, the liner notes tell the entire history of this band, like which, also, which also references... Nine Inch Nails a little bit, which is like really cute in a way that I'm like, oh, I get this joke. Um, and then like Revolver Magazine posted a review of the album. They're like, what? Sons of Pale Horses reissue still is a mess. It's not, it doesn't make up for the fact the original, like wow. they're going it's like, so it's like committing to an alternate wow. universe. Yes, and I love it. It's so much fun to follow along with all this stuff. Yeah. If if you have like the time and inclination for that deep dive stuff, this show, I think will reward has you. built in so many Easter eggs and so many things for that. I just don't really have like the bandwidth for that right now right. in my life. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that, but it's there. It's there. Yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, everyone. This has been our episode on the original trilogy of Star Wars. I can't believe this is all we get to say about I know. them. <laughs> but we have two, we have we two, two more episodes. Right. Yeah. And I'm yeah, sure yeah. we'll be dipping back in to the original trilogy. Talk to yeah. us on Twitter. We'll talk to you more about Star Wars. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I'll talk to you all day. Yes. yes. The next episode we release will be on the prequel trilogy. And that's just going to be so much Let's fun. Let's do this. It's going to be so much fun. Um, so stay Got tuned for that. Got a bad feeling about then, this. 
the week after we'll be doing uh, the new trilogy leading up to the release of episode nine. Um, so yeah, look out for those. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone that supports us on Patreon. And uh, we will see you. <laughs> we will see you in the prequels in the next episode. <laughs> see you in prequels. May the force be with you.